And we're going to talk um, a lot about names right now. This name, Emmanuel, hold on to that because uh, we're going to hear uh, what that means back then and right now for us as we uh, try to live our lives the best we can uh, in the name of Jesus. You know, something special about names. We love it when someone calls our name and then when they remember our name. We, you know, our names are something that we hold dear. So names are, are important, right? I mean, there's something that, you know, it, it's who we are. It's what we claim. And, you know, corporations like to have names too. And there are some, I think, within the sound of my voice that remember the phrase, put a tiger in your tank, Esso. Anybody, any, anybody remember that? Okay, you know, I always wondered why they, they changed their name. Esso seemed like a good name, but when the corporation that became the name I'm going to say in just a minute started to go global, they realized that the name Esso in some Asian languages was an obscene term. So they said, yeah, we better change this name. So they started a, lots of research to find out a, a two-syllable word that began with E that wasn't, any, it wasn't used by anybody else. So, so they're trying to make up a name. They did lots of research, looked at all sorts of languages, and they came down to two names, Inco and Exxon. Now, yeah, we, we know what name won out because, you see, when they're about to launch the name, they're thinking about Inco, some research came about and said that Inco in Japanese means stalled car. And you definitely don't want to be a gasoline and petroleum organization that has the name stalled car in a place that you would be selling gasoline. So Exxon came about. So yeah, our names are important. And names were particularly important in biblical times. We see throughout the Bible that someone has named something to reveal something about their character, about what God was doing in life. Remember, Abram became Abraham. Sarai became Sarah. Their son named Isaac meant laughter. Uh, Isaac had a son named Jacob, which meant grabber. And then later on, when he was encountering the Lord uh, there on the mountain, uh, his name was changed to Israel, one who strives with God and man and has overcome. Hosea had some children trying to symbolize what was going on in the people of Israel at the time. And so he had one child that he named, can you imagine this, name, name your child No Mercy. Yeah, but that was... Uh, that was one child, and the other one uh, is uh, I am forsaken. I mean, that, you know, those are names I don't think ought to name our kids, but he was just symbolizing what was going on in the people of Israel at the time. In the New Testament, of course, we're going to talk about uh, these names of Jesus in just a second, but, you know, we see that this file of name Simon becomes the rock, Peter. And we see that this persecutor of the church, Saul, later on becomes Paul. So, Names mean a lot. Of course, my, my favorite character besides Jesus in the Bible, Barnabas, means sons of encouragement. We, you know, names mean something. And in today's scripture text, we're going to talk about the naming of Jesus and what that name and those names imply. So here now the word of the Lord is found in the <clears throat> good news according to Matthew. Starting, I'm going to go back one verse, Sam, so don't, don't, Fuss at me. But here we go. We're going to start at verse 21, actually, but on the screen it's going to start in 22. She, Mary, will bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from the dream, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, took her as his wife but had no 
marital relations with her until she had born a son and named him Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yeah, we, here we have uh, the naming of Jesus. And the, the background of the story is, this is in Matthew's gospel, it's to set up uh, according to what Matthew viewed uh, this birth narrative is about. Of course, we look in Luke, that's more from Mary's perspective. But we see before these verses where uh, Jesus is born that Mary and Joseph are to be married. They're engaged. And Mary is found to be with child. She's pregnant. And then the scripture says something very interesting. Joseph, being a righteous man, decided to put Mary away quietly. He had every right to drag her out in front of everybody. He said, hey, look, she's pregnant. We haven't been married yet. This ain't my child. To embarrass her, to have her put away, maybe even kill. But the text says he was a righteous man, a righteous man. Now, oftentimes when we think about the term righteous, we think about someone who's unmarred by the ways of the world. And there is something in this righteousness where someone isn't influenced by uh, worldly values and worldly norms. That, that, that is indeed a part of righteousness. But Jesus talks about this higher righteousness. He says, you know, unless your righteousness is above that of the Pharisees, the Pharisees were people that kept themselves unmarred by the ways of the world. I mean, they did everything to separate themselves from anything that they thought was sinful. And that is a part of righteousness. We don't delve into sinful behaviors. But Jesus talks about this higher righteousness, which Joseph was showing, which we, as we talk about our Wesleyan beliefs at the beginning of, of next year, we talk about this righteousness being born out in love. And Joseph was showing this higher righteousness, this righteousness that exuded love, exuded mercy, exuded grace. And that's who we are. That's who followers of Christ are to be, the higher righteousness that Jesus is talking about. Well, I, I took us on a little detour there, but I, I just love that word, a righteous man, and what righteousness truly means. And so uh, he has this dream after he's, you know, said to himself, I'm not going to marry Mary. I'm just going to, you know, have her quietly put away. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, no, you're to marry her. And she's going to bear a son named Jesus, and he will be God with us. Amen. You well. Now, as I said, we're going to talk some about names. And a pastor named Mark Trotter, who used to serve at First United Methodist Church in San Diego, talks about names in the Jewish tradition not only reveal who the person is, but reveal something about the tradition in which that name sprung forth. And he said that the name Jesus is really the name Joshua, Joshua. And Joshua in the Bible was the one that led the people of Israel into the promised land. And Mark Trotter says this, he says, Joshua is tied uh, to Moses. And in Matthew's telling of the, of, the of the tale of Jesus, he says, Matthew does a great job of showing how Jesus relates to Moses. In the Talmud, it's talked about how Moses's dad had a dream that an angel would, that came to him and that he would be the one that deliver the people from uh, the, their slavery, their oppression, their bondage. We see with Moses that he was saved uh, from the slaughter of the Jewish babies by Pharaoh, just as Jesus was delivered from the slaughter by King Herod. Moses came out of Egypt, so did Jesus. 
Moses led the people into the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days and then crossed the Jordan River, as people from Auburn like to say, and went into, uh, it began his ministry. It was Moses who delivered the Ten Commandments. It was Jesus who climbed the mountain and delivered the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. And then in the Mount of Transfiguration, there's Moses affirming Jesus as who he says he is, the one who has come to set his people free. So we see how Jesus' name is tied back to this one who delivered the people, and yet uh, his name is Joshua. Joshua, the one who brought the people to the land of promise. Joshua, who's the one that brought them to freedom. Joshua, who's the one that unbound them and delivered them. What Mark Trotter argues is this, is that just as Jesus, or just as Moses and Joshua freed the people of Israel from bondage, so Jesus frees us from all bondage, all that holds us captive, all that holds us in slavery. Jesus came to free us from bondage to anything that holds us back and keeps us from fulfilling God's dream for our lives. Because whatever holds us to bondage in some ways is sin. People are held in captivity to their, act, their attitudes about things in life. People are held in bondage to their anger. People are held in bondage to their prejudice. People are held in bondage to their consumerism and their indebtedness then. Jesus has come to free us from whatever holds us in bondage. I had a friend who um, was talking about, he realized that he was prejudiced against a certain group of people, and he realized that is keeping me from seeing that person and those group of people as children of God. And he prayed to be delivered. Lord, help me to see those people just as you would see them. And he was, over a period of time, delivered from his racism because that was something that held him in bondage. In our day and time when there's so much divisiveness in our nation and we say that person is that way because he believes a certain way or she's somebody I don't want to be around because that person supports this thing or that thing, we're held in bondage and imprisonment to our own blinders of seeing someone as a child of God. That's bondage. And the great Methodist hymn, you know, it's kind of like our Methodist national anthem. We're going to sing it a bunch next month, so I hope you like the hymn, O Four Thousand Tongues to Sing. But I love the line in it. He, Charles Wesley wrote, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the phallus clean. His blood availed for me. And another Wesley hymn that we sung a week or two ago. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to what? Set thy people free. 1 Corinthians uh, 3 says this. He said, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So in the name Jesus, saving us from our sins, freeing us like Joshua and Moses did from captivity, from whatever holds us and bondage. And it's interesting how God does this. Doesn't deliver a, a word to us, doesn't send a message, though messages are proclaimed. He comes himself. He comes himself. 
He comes to be with us. Fulfilling the prophecy that Isaiah wrote, the people in bondage have seen a great light. A virgin shall bear forth a son, a child, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. And the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Upon them the light has dawned. A child shall be born, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel. This past Tuesday, my wife and I went to Winston-Salem to a pre-operation date, so to speak, because she was not going to be able to get out much over the next few weeks after surgery tomorrow. And we saw Handel's Messiah at Wake Forest Chapel. Oh, it was glorious. It really was. And I got emotional several times, and one of those times is when we heard Handel have these great words from Isaiah sung so beautifully. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Oh my gosh, my, my spirit soared. Yes, God just didn't send a message to say, hey, you all free. No, God came himself in the form of a baby, born just like you and I are. God came and occupied our space, our humanness, with all that we deal with, he dealt with too. And he came to show us that we have hope. He came to saying that, you know, there is hope for humanity. I'm not going to give up on you all. I'm going to come down there myself, and I'm going to be there for you all. Because, well, he... He sees all the brokenness in the world, and yet he still has hope. And he came himself to deliver that hope. One of my favorite stories, and you may have heard it, is by an uh, author named Norman Daves. And he tells a story about a teacher whose job it was, was to go to the hospitals, uh, children's hospitals, and to deliver lessons to the kids that were in the hospitals who may be falling behind in school so that, you know, they may be missing some school because they have some illness, an operation, or some surgery, or something going on. And so her job was to go into the hospital, take the lesson plans from their, that child's school, and deliver it there to the young person in the hospital. Tells a story about this teacher that she went to the, the teacher of the student, and she said, he needs to work on his nouns and verbs. That's what we're, we're talking about right now. And she said, I'll be glad to go do that. So she goes to the hospital, and to her horror, the boy is in the ICU unit, critically injured because he has suffered massive burns. And so she goes into the ICU unit and delivers a lesson to this small boy about subjects and verbs, nouns and verbs, and talks about it. And he didn't respond at all. And she feels disappointed. She thinks she's a failure. And she goes home real depressed about this. But she goes back the next day. That's what her job is. And the head nurse comes out and says, what did you do? And she said, I don't know. I just talked about nouns and verbs. Whatever you did, it's amazing. We were giving up hope on him because he had given up. He, he wasn't responding to any treatments. But today, he's fighting. Today, he has got a new attitude about life. Today, he thinks he hears a chance. You must have done something. She said, all I did is talk about nouns and verbs. She does a lesson again, and then, uh, you know, the 
child a few weeks later is discharged. And when asked about what happened, why, what changed his mind, what changed his attitude, what changed the, the course of his progress, he said this with tears in his eyes. Well, that night I began to think about this teacher coming to tell me about nouns and verbs. And before that time, I didn't think I was going to make it, but they wouldn't send a teacher and tell me about nouns or verbs to a child that was dying, would they? Hope, you see, makes all the difference. God came to us to show us that there is always hope. God comes to us in the midst of whatever we're dealing with, and it says there is hope for you. I have come to show you that no matter how many times you've blown it, no matter how many times you've failed, no matter what you are going through, there is hope. God is with us. Emmanuel. God has come to comfort us. God has come to sustain us. And now God says, I have come to those who call on my name, who have received this message, who have been freed from bondage, to be that hope for others, to be that hope for others, to go out in my name, to be Emmanuel to the people in the world around us. Really, that's what we're, we're called to be. We receive Emmanuel and we offer Emmanuel to others. We become Christ with us to those who are around us. We've experienced this firsthand. Most of you all know what we endured a horrible tragedy. And a few days after uh, that accident that took our son's life, we went back to the small town in Bruton, Alabama uh, to, well, do things we had to do. But we wanted to have a time of prayer with a retired pastor that meant so much to us at that church. And we just wanted to meet with uh, Frank Scott and just have a time of prayer with him to receive some comfort. Well, word had gotten out that we were going to be there. And we pull in the parking lot on a Tuesday afternoon, and the parking lot is full. We go in the church, the place is packed, and people surrounded us with love and with care and with all sorts of signs of affection. We, we knelt at the altar. They, they surrounded, people came and whispered uh, words of love and comfort and support to us. They told us that they're there for us. Heard a story from a fellow that was in that church that worked at the correctional institution where I had done ministry through Kairos, and he said, Ed, it's incredible. The brothers in white heard about what had happened to you. They all left the, the dorms and, and gathered there in the center of the courtyard and had prayer for you. And as, as things were all coming to a close, someone got up and said these powerful words. He said, you know, in times like these, there are no words. They're just people. They're just people. And those people are God's people. Those people are the ones who have said yes to Jesus, who have received the gift of God's presence of Emmanuel into their own lives. And then we go into the world to be Emmanuel for others. You, me, we are the ones that go to the broken and hurting. We are the ones that make the visits to the lonely. We are the ones that deliver cookies to those who have no hope. We're the ones that are present for others. Doing small practical things like raking leaves, 
or just being there, holding a hand, offering a hug. We are those people. We are the hands and feet of Christ. I close with a story by a pastor, Sue Reeves, who tells about a Catholic priest that was riding on a ferry uh, late one night, uh, going from one destination uh, to another. And, and as they're uh, coming into uh, the place where he was going to debark, he looks up in the sky and sees all the stars and, and he says, oh my, what's a, a gorgeous night. And, and he says to the uh, African-American who's standing near, near him, who's working on the boat, isn't it just a glorious night? And the fellow says, well, I'm glad the day's about over. It's been a tough day. And the priest says, well, what's going on? And he said, well, earlier in the day when we were ferrying some folks back and across, this drunk man got on board and he began to yell all sorts of obscenities. He, and I, I went over there to try to calm him down. He started calling me names and some things that just, just hit me in the gut. And I wanted to leave him, but I realized that if I left him, he was going to go and start cussing other people out. And there are young kids there. So I sat down with him and I took his abuse. I took uh, all the things that he was saying because I didn't want anyone else to deal with that. And the priest said, wow, that's pretty powerful. You know, this is the Christmas season. And this is a time we, uh, in our tradition, realize that God sent Jesus into the world to well, take on all the stuff of the world, like, kind of like you did with that fella. And that, you know, God came uh, to bear our burdens and our garbage and our, our stuff, just like you did. And the African-American fellow just kind of shrugs, says, yeah, whatever. And, and the priest says, that's pretty, pretty powerful. And as they're about to leave, the priest said, you know, I never did catch your name. What, what is your name? And the fellow said, my name's Emmanuel. I'm Emmanuel. And Sue Reeves closes that story saying that we're Emmanuel. We are God with us. We are the ones that bear the love of Christ to the world. We are the ones that take on the care of others. We are the ones that even sometimes take on the garbage of others so that people will know the good news of the one who came as God with us. You might say, God, you know, I don't know about that. Well, Jesus says this in John 17, I in them, meaning us, and you in me, Father, He's in us. And Paul writes in Colossians 1, they will know, they will know through them, the saints, about the mystery, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. You're Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came to save the world. And right now, he's doing it through people like you all on the online y'all in this church, and through people, well, believe it or not, like me. All that reminds me of a song. It's on the screen, but the words are changed a little bit. See if you notice. Let us sing this together and claim it as our own.
so they make sure they got it and sing loud. I hear a lot of potential praise band members, Kathy, out there, you know? Very good. Yes, your name is called Emmanuel. Let us pray. We come before you, O one who became one of us, to realize that you just didn't send words, you just didn't call prophets to proclaim the good news. You came to be with us to endure all that we endure, to celebrate many things we get to celebrate, but mostly, Lord, to offer us hope as you free us from bondage to whatever enslaves us. And we know, too, O oh God, that as you have come to be with us, you offer us hope that no situation in which we find ourselves is indeed without hope because you have come to Give us a sense of purpose and a sense of that we have a future, no matter what's going on. So God, we pray that we all will claim this good news for ourselves so that we can be Christ for others, so that they too will receive the good news that you've come to be with them as you have been with us. Now, Lord, as we go out in the world, help us to be as loving as you have called us to become so that others will know Jesus because they know us. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.